And when I started doing this, I realized that what I wanted to do wasn't actually cook food and make people be like, oh my gosh, your fruit is delicious. Like, I don't give a toot about that. Yeah, yeah. What I realized is the legacy of my mom and dad mm. is interconnected into the foods that we ate at the table. Yeah. And I want to preserve their legacy because when they came to this country, they had nothing. They still have nothing. Mm. They had is all they had was us. Rain Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the award-nominated podcast, Unleash Your Supernova. I'm Nova Lorraine, your host, and I'm excited to bring you another show where storytelling comes to you at its best. I'm going to be introducing you to creatives that are doing what they love while changing the world, and they always do this through their stories. You'll be able to learn mindful, holistic tips and hacks for how to grow, not only in your business, but also in your life. We'll learn from these wonderful creators from around the globe and how they've unleashed their superpowers, sharing their wisdom with you. And I am so excited to bring to you today a very special guest, Yia Vang. Hi, Yia. Hey, Nova. Thank you so much. Greatly appreciated. Super honored to be here. Yeah, I am so excited. Before we hit the record button, I was sharing with you how much I love food. And (laughs) I'm going to say... From the very first episode of Iron Chef, I've wanted to be a, a judge on that show. And and it's still on my want list. I'm just going to let you know. And for our listeners, well, you're going to get... Send a note in to the Netflix producers. You'll probably get in. Don't worry. Ooh. <laughs> did you just... Ooh. Okay. I have homework <laughs> this weekend. I'm like... Yeah. <laughs> and the listeners are going to know in a second why we're even talking about food and the Iron <laughs> Chef. Let me share with our audience your incredible bio and and we can jump right in. So as recently seen on Good Morning America, James Baird nominated an Eater's Chef of the Year. Yia Vang has had one of his busiest years to date with his multiple projects, including competing as challenger on Netflix Iron Chef, Quest for an Iron Legend, hosting Food Network's Stoked, and most recently premiered his new thrilling cooking and culture series, Feral, now airing and streaming through the Outdoors channel. TV personality and highly decorated chef Yia Vang is currently the owner and chef of the James Baird nominated restaurant Union Mong Kitchen, located in Gray's Food Hall in North Loop, Minneapolis, specializing in Hmong cuisine. So very, very inspiring and impressive. Most individuals that I know that's in the restaurant business are owners. They're not necessarily chefs. And I do know a few chefs and I know how challenging that journey is. Any journey as a creative entrepreneur, when you're bringing together your art and the desire to turn that into a business and a livelihood is challenging. But not only did you become a chef, you became a restaurant owner. Not only did you become a restaurant owner, you have all of these awards and accolades and now are bridging entertainment and food and entrepreneurship. So really excited to dive in here. And what I usually start with, with all of our guests is why? What is it? We are here to do things and sometimes we're on the right path, sometimes not. But when we take the time to explore why, and I talk about this in my book, Unleash Your Supernova, we are able to assess, are we doing what we're doing or living where we're living or 
in a relationship with who we are for the right reasons. And you're never going to know that until you actually take time to reflect on that. And so I'm going to throw you the question, Yia, why do you do what you do? I need to know the secret sauce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's really no secret sauce to it. I think for me, I hit this, now I'm 38 right now. And so I, I think about 29 and I remember when I was going to hit 30, I just asked myself, like, what is my why? I've worked in different mm. restaurants. I've done different kinds of jobs. To be completely open, like I never wanted to work in kitchens. I, I hated it growing up. Mm. It was a job that I could get 10 bucks an hour. My my Honestly, my idea is, dude, if everything fails and I, I can't make it through college, whatever, if I drop out, at least I can get a job washing dishes or working in the back of a kitchen somewhere. Like this was, there was no plan. Like everyone, everyone thinks that there's this beautiful story where I, like, I sat around with mom and I'm like, oh my gosh, like our hands are, you know, washing rice together and stuff. Like there's that. But it, at that moment, it was like, frick, these are chores. I hate it, you know? Mm. And so, so it's not as romanticized as everyone thinks it is. And I think that a lot of people, when I get interviewed, it's like, tell me about your grandma. Like, did you cook with her? Did she sit right beside you? And it's like, no, like that, that didn't happen. We were refugees. It was survival. Mm-hmm. It was, how do you make it to the next day? Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't sit there and it wasn't these recipes that were handed out from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents are both just trying to hustle and say, Hey, how do we keep our children alive? Yeah. And so. I never wanted to do it. <laughs> it was kind of funny. I tell people, <laughs> it was like, you know how you're good at something? You're like, oh, I don't want to be good at this. And that's kind of how I felt about cooking. Like, it made sense to me. I'm an amatory learner. My hands, once it touches something okay. and my eyes visually see it, like then my it sinks in my brain. But if you were to give me a, a book and say, read this whole book and then explain to me the concept, I'd be like, oh. And so, mm. so I think, I think a lot of times us cooks, we are more learned by doing. And the rest of my siblings, they could read a book, break it down, write a report, good grades. They, they did really well. And so as part of this refugee immigrant community, what was highlighted was education. And so it was like, Yia's disruptive. Yia, you know, doesn't do well, doesn't read well. Yia doesn't know, you know. And then so I, at, in school, I was like, here this, like, I'm going to play sports. And so that's what I did. And or, you know, I just kind of did my own thing. And. I think it wasn't until I got, you know, after college, I graduated a degree in communications and minor in PR and marketing. And I wanted to move up to Minneapolis and I wanted to go work in one of those big buildings. And I just said to myself, Hey, this is kind of, you know, this is kind of the, what you want to do. And I never wanted to go back to the kitchen. And I tell people that the kitchen is kind of like, it's like that, that girl from town that you grew up with, that you dated, but you broke up, dated and broke up, dated and broke up. And it's like, <laughs> 15 years into it, you're like, I guess I love you. We should put a ring on it or something. <laughs> I always say that it's like this relationship where then when it shifted, it's like, dude, I've known you for so long, but something happened and, and you realize you, you, you re fall in love with your first love, you know? Mm. And for me, that's what it was with food. Like when, when food and working in the kitchen didn't, wasn't a job anymore. It wasn't yeah. this like grimy job. Yeah. And I realized, and there's this mantra kind of that, with our restaurant group, we kind of talk about, and this mantra, I keep saying that every dish has a narrative. You follow that narrative long enough and close enough, you get to the people behind the food. And once you're there, it's no longer about food. It's actually about people. The food is a Mm. catalyst into cultivating great relationships. And so I was working at these restaurants and I started doing that. I said, okay, if I really believe in that, how do I do that? 
And when I started following this narrative of the foods that re rejuvenated and revived my soul,、mm. I ended up at the table with my mom and dad. And I was like, why is this basic braised, like, like before, like, like off mic, we're talking about how you're from Jamaica and, and there's this rich history in the way that our moms and our aunties made food, right?、Mm -hmm. And I found myself eating like, like braised pork neck with mustard greens. And why does my soul come alive? Why is there something? <laughs> Why is there that flavor that like, I can't explain? Like,、mm. love my white brothers and sisters, but I can't explain that to them. I can't explain.、It. And again, this dish is not sexy at all. There's like four ingredients, and one、right. of them is water. One of them、right. is literally water. Like, it's just like, so in essence, there's literally three ingredients that goes in this, but there's something that magical that happens once that mustard green、yeah. is braised and that broth that comes from that pork. Mm. Neck and, and that fat and the glistening of that fat, and how that mustard green, the sharpness of it, but you know, cuts through the porky fat. But then the fat itself isn't actually just pork fat, but it's flavor that's on the mustard green, too.、Right. Like, how do I explain that? How do I explain <laughs> that that's my childhood wrapped up in one? And、right. when I started doing this, I realized that what I wanted to do wasn't actually cook food and make people be like, oh my gosh, your fruit is delicious. Like, I don't give a toot about that. Yeah, yeah. What I realize is the legacy of my mom and dad、mm. is interconnected into the foods that we ate at the table. Yeah. And I want to preserve their legacy because when they came to this country, they had nothing. They still have、mm. nothing. They had is, all they had was us. They lived、yeah. an unconditional, sacrificial life for us.、Yeah. Every decision that was made was for us. And my mom would always tell me that your dad would go to work and he would think about. Putting in two quarters for the soda machine, the pop machine. Yeah. And he wouldn't do that because he would ask himself, what am I taking away from my children if I do this for myself? And it was just like,、yeah. it blew me away. Right. And because when I was younger growing up, I was like,、oh, how come my parents isn't like other, like my friends' parents? Like my parents didn't, couldn't help me with English homework. They couldn't help me with math homework. Yeah. Because they didn't know how. This wasn't their world, but they did everything、right. they could to make sure that we always had a step. And so, what my why, my North Star, my、mm -hmm. shoreline, my lighthouse, when I'm lost at sea, for the proverbial sea, and, the, and there's that massive mess, and、yeah. I don't know what to do, I look to them.、Mm. I look to say, hey, like, mom, dad, like, I'm struggling here. You know, like, we're in a tough, we're in Q3, and it's tough, and I don't know how we're going to make it through the restaurant here. Through COVID, it was like, mom, like, we, our sales was like 200 bucks today. Like, that doesn't even cover, like, our people working here. Like, what do we、mm -hmm. do? And mom always says, she's my mom and dad who's gone through atrocity, who's gone through war, who's gone through yeah. genocide. Yeah. They look to me and say, this too shall pass. I love that. They remind that. me in perspective. And so, do we cook food? Yeah. Because that, that's what we love doing. But what's deeper behind that is their legacy. It's attached to everything we do. That's, so that's my why. I mean, that's a long winded whatever, but that's my why. No, that's your why. It, and it's beautiful and it's, it's powerful. It's who you are. It's what drives you, like you said, even in those challenging times. And that's so important. It's so important because this roller coaster of a journey is real. And thank you for sharing insight on a sneak peek on what that could be. Some days, Are going to be really, really like low points, and some are going to be off the chart amazing. And part of that unexpected journey of the dips、mm -hmm. is part of the excitement in, in entrepreneurship as well. 
But to have that source to go back to for guidance, for grounding, I think is incredible. And there was a few things that jumped out at me as you were sharing. First of all, you're very poetic, (laughs) (laughs) by the way. And I love how you mentioned, yes, I cook food. It's not necessarily what I do. What I'm doing is preserving a legacy. You're telling stories. You're, you're bringing us into your world, your childhood, the traditions and culture of your family, your parents. And through this medium that we're calling food, we're able to experience that all at once in this multi-sensory way. And you use the word narrative and catalyst. Okay. I'm just saying, (laughs) I don't know. Most kitchens aren't, aren't using the word narrative and catalyst. Okay. So we're, I'm going to park that for a second because I'm going to come back to that. But there was so many interesting details that you shared that I resonated with and related to. My parents immigrated here absolutely unconditionally, provided for us, sacrificed for us. We're the first generation to go to college here. Similarly, we had to figure out that system on our own. How do you even apply to college before this grand Mm -hmm. thing we call the internet? How do Mm -hmm. you get scholarships? You know, there are six of us. Grants. Grants, you know. Like feist. Yeah. Yep. And then living in the middle of cow country, we lived in the Northeast and it wasn't Mm -hmm. a bustling city and small town and we just had to figure it out. So I, I appreciate the details you shared around your journey. And how you were able to separate the activity of cooking with the love of storytelling. So I said, I'm going to park narrative and catalyst because I'm now I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> you said every dish is a narrative. The food is a catalyst. And you're seeing the customer as almost the reader for the story. The food, it's almost like your plates become the characters And you're creating the backstory, the plot twist, (laughs) you know, there's the dark night of the soul, there's the hero's journey, and and it's with Mm -hmm. these ingredients that you're putting together. So let's talk about that. Clearly, Mm -hmm. you're a storyteller. When did you discover that? What was the catalyst even for discovering that? And maybe that was detail you you touched on as you were in, in the kitchens and realizing I am falling out of love with the thing that I thought I loved and Mm -hmm. really having to assess your why. So I want to talk about the storytelling part of who you are, because it clearly ties into what you're doing now in television and entertainment. Yeah. So I think like one of the things is that like, I'm always, I would grew up as a curious kid, right? It's like you're a parent. It's like that kid is like, well, why mom? Why? Why? You're like child silent. And so that was kind of my mentality growing up. I was just this kind of like curious kid who's had all these questions. I always want to know the whys and the whys. Hmm. I think part of that really helped develop my, I love etymology. I love the meaning of words or like the, the history of words. Like what, why do we use this word? Where does it come from? Hmm. And I have, so, so growing up, like I've always asked that question, like, like, well, well, how did this term, this euphemism, how did it come up? And what that really drove me to do when I started, when I got into cooking, is like, well, why do we do it this way? And I grew up in a kind of a, a the, the restaurants I cooked at were like these French style, very European based kind of way of cooking. And I was like, hmm, we don't do it that way at home. Like we're Hmong, so 
we were doing it very the way that we cook is very kind of Southeast Asian style. Got a long, and then, well, is that a right way or is that a wrong way of doing it? Because I went, I was like, going to this restaurant where you're cooking fancy French food. Well, is there value there? Like, does that mean that it's the right way because somebody's willing to pay $32 for a plate and for one of the dishes that you can get at this mom and pa place for this Southeast Asian place, they won't pay over 10? Like, does that mean that that French dish like has more value? And so these were the questions I were asking myself. And then I think that there's this idea that I think like fast food chains has this idea that the customer is always right. The customer is always right. We'll do everything for the customer. And I said, hey, let's push back a little bit. And let's say, hey, if the customer, I, we, we don't like using the word customer. We say guest. When our guest comes in, they're also saying to us is like, challenge me. Challenge beyond me a little bit. And if we, as the people who are making the food, if we can help challenge them, if we can help educate them, if we can just give them something that when, whatever they're eating now has a little story because we connect with stories, right? I mean, I love movies. I love movies. I love epic movies. And when we watch some of these movies, and especially now, when we watch some of these movies, there's not really a good guy or a bad guy. Uh-huh. The bad guy is not really a bad guy. I mean, there are some movies where that's just pure evil, okay? But, 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 the, but some, some of the quote-unquote bad guys in the storyline, it's like, well, look at their past. Look what brought them there. Mm-hmm. And once you understand that, you relate. Because if you think about it, like you think about us as people and humanity, you think about suffering and pain, that treats us all the same. Like a rich dude doesn't suffer differently than a poor dude. Like pain, hurt, all of that, it's the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, I well, we really found that food is a universal language that we can use to speak to each other. And food is also a universal language that we can use to engage each other's soul. So it's like that soul connection. And so we just said, hey, let's tell the story of our people. Because if you know anything about the Hmong people, our cultural DNA is intricately woven into the foods that we eat. Our people, we don't have a home. We don't have a country of our own. We don't have a flag of our own, a national anthem of our own. We've always been a nomadic traveling group of people. And the reason why we travel was if one, if the majority culture there didn't want us, they kick us out. And then we go to the next one and we go to the next one. And historically, that's our people. Now, when you do that, what you do is you glean from these cultures that you rub shoulders with. And as you glean from these cultures, you take that of what you glean for and you forge it into your own culture to build for the next generation to build on. And that's what we want to do. And that's why when you come to our place and you, you have like the Hmong sausage, like what's, what's important about the Hmong sausage? Well, because that was a dish my dad taught me growing up and I watch him make it. And see, dad, when they came to this country, he had nothing. He still has nothing. There's no, dad doesn't have a document somewhere that says, hey, like, you have this property or this is yours. No. Mm-hmm. When one day when dad passes away, when he, when he dies, he doesn't have a will to give us anything because he had nothing. He had us. And so how do we preserve that legacy? How do I preserve that legacy? How do I tell stories to my kids and their kids? And they're going to they're gonna remember their grandfather, their great-grandfather. How are they going to do that? Well, it's through these dishes yeah. that I watch him make. It's through these dishes for him. Like, why is it so important that we have whole fish on our menu? Whole fish in itself, like, I'm not trying to be, like, revolutionary. Like, everyone has whole fish in their menu. Why is whole fish bread? Because dad always took us fishing. He worked hard. He was a carpenter. Ten-hour days, he'd come home, sawed us over him. As kids, we'd line up and we sit on the 
on the porch and we waited for him with all our gear and he get home, he change and we hop in the car. We drive half an hour out to the lake and we go fishing until the sun comes down. Then he gets back in the car, makes sure that we all get ready for bed. Then he finally eats. See, he doesn't turn it off. He doesn't go home and says, I worked my 10. I'm peace out. I'm on my couch. No, he gets home and then he put, takes off the worker hat, the carpenter hat, and he puts on dad hat. No breaks in between. And, and he never backed down from that. And so when I, so when we put this dish out and I talk to people and I say, hey, do you know why this whole fish that we do, why it's important to me? Because it represents dad. It represents his grit, his hustle, his nonstop. And as, as we say to our guests, partake in this, you get to order this, you get to eat this. I mean, obviously, like, we want to make it delicious, but we also, I also want you to remember that you're sitting at the table of mom and dad too. And then hopefully, hopefully what that does is that ignites inside of them, inside of their hearts, something where they're like, man, what's something that my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, my uncle, whoever that is that close person to them, what is something that they have left for me? Like something that I want to remember them by that I can pass it down. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's what, that's the power of story, right? A hundred percent. I'm sitting here like, give me more, give me more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, such a rich picture that you've painted. And I, you know, I'm taking this journey with you. I'm getting in the car. I'm anxiously waiting on the porch, getting back in the car after fishing and going, getting ready for bed. There was so many things that, as you were talking, just gave me flashes of my childhood. And I do think there's something really special and humble with immigrants making their way in any new place. And I feel that, and I get that sense from the stories you were sharing, is in that moment, as this generation in this new place is making way for themselves and their children they're so close to what's the most important. And my parents similarly really focused on just providing a safe and loving home. It wasn't about name brand this or that. It wasn't about quantity. It was always about quality. It was about self-expression. It was about you can do whatever you choose to do. There's no limits, dream, whatever your dream is. And it was about just solid, basic morals. You love each other. You support each other. You don't lie. You don't steal. You don't do these things. Just like how to be a good human being. And it starts in the home. It starts with each other. We were raised to be very close as siblings. And it sounds like you're really close to your siblings. So these are things that I think are so important and are so integral to what it means to be human. And what are those things that leave the legacy as you were sharing. And when you said your father had nothing and he's leaving with nothing, I was like, oh, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) How are we defining nothing here? Seven incredible children, legacy of grandchildren, all that you've accomplished, the dreams that have come true for each and every one of you, good health. I mean, again, let's go back to what matters where there are so many that don't have a fraction of that. And I think that is powerful. I think that's more than dollars in the bank. And Mm -hmm. it's going to continue to pay forward, pay forward, pay forward. An earlier part of the interview, you had mentioned this dish. And it was braised beef. And I believe it was mustard greens. 
you had mentioned? Yep. Bra- braised pork neck and mustard green. Yeah. Okay. And it was so vivid. The description was so vivid and how the ingredients come together. And as a Jamaican who knows how to cook, I was cooking at, at age 11 because that's just what you did. <laughs> and learning the process of slow cooking and simple ingredients. And I love how you shared with us, there's only four ingredients. One is water. And it's not a matter of the amount of spice or the number of spices. It's really which ones you choose and how they come together and how much you use. And I think that's a very valuable lesson, again, that I took from that as well. It's simple, but it's rich and it's savory. And Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, you said it regenerated your soul. Mm -hmm. So I would love for you to talk about that a little bit and, and how you bring that into your food and why that's important to you to share that with your your customers. Yeah, I think that I have this little thing. My buddies, my friends, they are always like, oh, don't like, because it's like, if you're a cook, everyone always just thinks that you eat this glamorous like mission star meal every day. I'm like, <laughs> dude, stop. <laughs> and they'll be like, oh no, like don't tell them where we're going or oh, don't say whatever because he's going to judge us. And I'm like, are you judging yourself and you're deflecting mm. on me? No. So we we have a lot of people that would like, I, I have a lot of people that were like, just kind of joke with me about that. And so I had a saying where I was like, you know what? One day I was like, you know what, guys? I just don't want to waste a meal. Like, you know, like when you're eating, like I just want to eat stuff that has meaning to it. If it be eating at some kind of chain restaurant, being whatever, like I just want to have eat stuff that has meaning to me. It's like, there's two reasons why we eat. One, sustenance, it keeps us alive. And two, I think that there's an enjoyment to it, you know? And I'm also just a fan of the food world too. As much as I'm in the food world, I'm just excited about it with friends who open different restaurants and stuff like that. So I'm just excited about it. And and I guess like I come to this thing where I find myself going because I don't want to just waste a meal. I want people when they come in and eat, I want to, them to understand their whys. Like, why are you partaking this? Because the best people to help tell stories are other people. And one of the things I've learned is this, as humans, we were created for community. Mm. We weren't created to be by ourselves. We weren't created to live alone. There is a yearning inside to be part of a community or to create community that comes naturally to us. And you can see this in babies, right? Mm-hmm. You have kids, so you can see this in babies or just like toddlers. The moment you put these toddlers in a room together, they all crawl to each other and they all look at each other. It's like, who are you? What are you? How come you <laughs> look like me? What's going on? Because that's the yearning for community inside, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Like, like no babies are ever putting the room together and they're just like, well, I'm going to go to my corner. I don't care about you. <laughs> they're so excited to be around each other. Yeah. Absolutely. They're so drawn to each other. I mean, think about it from the most primal level. That's what we do. And what's the next thing that happens after communities created? Well, let's eat together, right? <laughs> like, okay, let's it's like, <laughs> and I also believe, too, that when you're eating, food always tastes so much better, regardless if the food is good food or bad food or mediocre food, when you have someone to share it with. That's right. That is so true. You can have I the best it. meal in the world. And I, and I truly, I understand people are like, no, you can have the best meal in the world. And I think that some people will be like, oh, I don't mind eating by myself. And Yeah, I get it. Like sometimes you need breaks. Sometimes, But overall, the essence of truly enjoying food, there always has to be a partner, always has to be mm. a community. Mm. 
that you're a part of because what does that do that creates memory hey dude remember that one time we had that awesome burger yeah where was that one place where <laughs> oh man that was awesome dude <laughs> i guarantee you the burger wasn't that good but the community <laughs> you were with like me i like as a college dude growing up and living with eight dudes in one house right, right there were so many times that we have eaten like like the jar salsa with the and it has like a little white mold on top but we scrape the mold off watching college football games on a Saturday, eating dips and, and eating chips and salsa. And it wasn't that good. But man, I'll tell you the time that we had all the dudes over and we were watching it and our team was down by three. They were up and, and we we're just, I mean, I still remember some of those games where we're like yelling, carrying, running around like a bunch of lunatics. <laughs> but can I tell you what brand of salsa it was? I don't know. Can I t- tell you that what kind of chip it was? I don't know. There was chip and salsa there. You know what I'm saying? But it's the community you're with. That's right. And so for us, that's why we, our parent company or we call our mothership company is called Hill Tribe because the Hmong people were known as the Hill people. They're Mongpachua. That's the word. It's, they were the people of the mountains because they lived in the mountains. They lived in the mountains because the lowlanders or the majority culture where they were in Laos, Thailand and Vietnam didn't want the Hmong people. They were known as the off-brand type. They were the ones that were, they were like the, the, the people that nobody wanted the less than. So they had them live in the mountains. But living in the mountains of Laos, it's hard to farm. But our people found a way. We did it. They said that these dirt, that this dirt and the soil would never be able to grow anything. Our people found a way. We did it. So that's why we named our, our mother company that owns a few of the restaurants. We named it Hill Tribe because we're, we're a tribe. And when people said that we were out and no, that we didn't have the ability to do it, we did it. When the U.S. government came to uh, northern Laos and they needed boots on the ground, they needed paramilitary troops to fight the war for them during the Vietnam War, the Hmong people were called. My dad at age 12 joined the local militia and he joined and he fought. He was trained by the U.S. government. CIA case officers and operators came in and trained them. Special forces came and trained them. And they would run night missions for the U.S. government and they fought for them. And the government said, hey, if you do this for us, no matter what happens, win, lose, or draw, you guys can come to our country, free citizenship. American lose, uh, American in 75 pulls out of Saigon, left our people behind. The Northern Communist Party came through, genocided our people. 52,000 people died out of this genocide. <gasps> and the U.S. government was, and they called it, you can look it up. Anybody can look it up. It's called the Secret War. At that time, nobody knew about it. They just knew about these mountain people that lived it. There's a CIA report now that just been that was released, and you read it, and it said that there are these people that live in the mountains of Laos, that there are nomadic tribal people that we can hire out to to fight for us, to be our military there. And they said that there are two reasons why we think that they're that they're greatest. First of all, they're they're fearless warriors. They don't know when to quit. And secondly, because they lived in the mountains, they had great cardio. <laughs> and they could run they said they could run for days without having to stop. They could run these missions for them. That's our people. And when I talk to high school kids, I, I remind them, I said, hey guys, our fathers and our grandfathers who fought this war to get us here and then even got denied coming here and then eventually made their way here. And then when they were here in the country that they fought for, in the country that some of them gave up their life for, in a country where they were patriots before they even became citizens. And to have people here to say, hey, go back to your own country. Like, why are you here? Not because the people here living in America don't understand the story and the connection of why we're here anyway. You know, you know those those people, those are our parents, our grandparents, our ancestors who did this? You know that blood that pumps through their vein, that pumps through their hearts? That's the same blood that pumps through your heart. That's the same blood that pumps through your vein. 
people. Don't you dare listen to anybody who tells you that you can't do anything. Don't you dare listen to people that tells you that you're not strong enough, you're not good enough, because it's their blood that pumps through us and they never quit. And so for me, yeah, it's as silly as, hey, come in and eat with us. But all of this food we're making has that weight. This company that we run has that weight. The ethos of what we do has that weight. And it's a good weight. It's a good burden that I want to carry. So in a long form, short form answer, that's it for me. I love it. I want to quickly transition to our last segment. And thank you so much. That was so beautiful and inspiring. And anyway, I was just, I was like, I love history. So as you were telling us, I was like, really? Whoa, what? And, and I made notes of, because I, I, I am going to go back and I am going to look at all these things that you're sharing, because I think we can learn so much from our history and to create best present moment experience. So I'm going to hand you the mic for our last segment and you get to ask me any question you want. And, and then we'll wrap it up shortly after that. Mm-hmm. Well, hi, Nova. Welcome to the show. Um, <laughs> I love it. Yes. Uh, yeah. So the one thing that I'm always curious about entrepreneurs, creators, is what were you ever at a moment where you're like, I'm done, I'm quitting because or this is it. And what was that moment and what got you through that moment? For example, for me, I always drive past this business area and mm-hmm. it has this big sign that says as starting $25 an hour plus benefits. And I'm always like, oh, I could always go work for UPS. <laughs> yeah. And like, like the hard days when you have to deal with staff, you have to deal with budget issues. And I drive past and I'm like, I could just, I could leave all this and go work with UPS, be mindless and move boxes. <laughs> no offense to any UPS people, but do you know what I'm saying? I do. I do. Yeah. And I have... Yeah, and I always talk about how I have my UPS moments, and those are for for me. I've had a few of those, especially in the last couple of years. So for you, like, have you ever had moments where you're like, "I'm done," like throw your hands in the air, you're like, "I'm done." Oh yeah, oh absolutely, and I love, (laughs) I love the UPS analogy, and I feel often I've had that. And the question is, when was the first one? Hmm. I know, maybe within. Maybe after, let's say, 18 to 24 months of when I started my first business. And it was my fashion company. I had my children, my, I have four. So I had two little babies and I was doing a lot of all-nighters. And I wasn't getting to the milestones I wanted as quickly as I wanted. And the reality of entrepreneurship kicked in. We had circumstances that were not in our control that were that was affecting the business like 9-11 and and other things. And without a mentor, without a deep network, deep pockets, and really just, I had my business plan, I had my dream. And and like you said, if it's in your blood and if it runs through your veins, this perseverance, this drive, this fearlessness, I had that. But then I also felt that I was getting beaten down by life. And I did Mm -hmm. ask myself, like, do I want to do this? I could get a job. I could... (laughs) Why am I doing this? This is hard. It's a lot of hours, 60, 80 hours a week. I'm not even paying myself. I'm paying my team and I'm not even paying myself. Like, what am I doing? And when the why, when the answer to that is bigger than yourself and and it it sounds, and you've shared so many whys that are bigger than you, responses are bigger than you. And I think when you understand why you're here and where you fit into the cog and how you can help expand the lives of those around you, that's 
what kept me going. It's going back to、mm. that bigger why and saying, "Ah,、oh, okay, I'll do this again tomorrow. Let's see what happens." <laughs> And usually、mm-hmm. something really great does happen. Was it three、mm-hmm. feet from gold? There is usually、mm-hmm. something right around the corner. So it's so important to just hold on to that. The, the, your lowest days means that there's an upswing that's coming very soon. And I feel a lot of people give up at that low moment, but know that when you are in that low moment, we're not meant to be there. Just like you had mentioned、mm-hmm. earlier, we are a community-based people. We're a tribal race as humans.、Mm-hmm. We as humans are also not meant to live in this state of destitute. We're meant to live in a proper, prosperous, and abundant state of mind. And so, if you're in that low moment, that's not the end. Like that's the whole point. Like get excited for that upswing. So that's what gets me through those moments. And I feel any entrepreneur has those over time because there's always new challenges, new goals, new projects, and not everything goes smoothly. And And you're like, uh,、oh, really? I could just stop right now. <laughs> yeah. So I re- I appreciate that question because I feel that when individuals see like the the accomplishments of a founder or an entrepreneur, and they don't hear the story and the journey along the way, they feel you go from zero to one hundred instantly. And、mm-hmm. it's really、yeah. the journey. It's all about the journey. There's always a new goal. There's always a new task. But if you're listening and remember. We are given these pursuits for a reason, but it's the journey、mm-hmm. along the way. It's the people you're sitting across from at the table and eating with, so to speak. That's what creates the memories. That's what creates the joyous moments. That's what really matters. Not the flag, not the the race, the winning of the race, and、mm-hmm. yeah. what you went through leading up to running that race, and then the fact that you actually decided to run and you finished it. So that's the point. And there's always those races in life. So thank you so much for that question and. I am so sad to say bye. This was such a great conversation. I love your storytelling, really, really do. That's a gift. I am also so inspired that you're bringing that to the world through your food as well. And so we get to enjoy that by seeing you on television, and we get to enjoy that by eating your food. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being on the show. I would love to at some point have you back. I feel that you have so much to share. And so much wisdom, and so much passion, and so I appreciate you. And is there any way that individuals can follow you? I know you have a new restaurant you're working on. Do you want to share that really quickly, and then、yeah. how our listeners can stay in touch with all that you're doing? Yeah. So currently, we have our restaurant Union Monk Kitchen. So across social platforms, it's Union Monk H M O N G Kitchen. So it's just at across all social platforms. And another one we have V I V I N A I M N at V I M N Minnesota, and that was our new brick and mortar that we're working on. We're trying to finish up some financing. V I is actually the name of the refugee camp that I was born in. My parents、mm-hmm. met in there. They got married there. They were there、mm-hmm. from eighty seven to eighty eight. Oh, sorry, sorry. They were there from seventy seven to eighty eight, and that's when we moved to America. Uh, Vinay, I tell people that that restaurant is a love letter to mom and dad. So that's oh, we're, we're working on. Yeah, so we,、oh, so we got、it. to,、um, yeah, so we're putting that together. And then we have a bunch of other little things we're doing. We're doing these rotating pop up restaurants in Minneapolis too, which is like super fun.、Uh, the current one we have going on right now is called Slurp. So it's all noodle bowls. So different kinds of different noodles. We have two kinds. There's what we always call them saucy and brothy. So,、mm. and we're just trying to. We're trying to run and gun a little bit with the restaurant, and so yeah, and 
yeah, I mean, we that's just what we're doing. If anybody's in the Minneapolis area, you know, just like shoot us a DM or contact us, and you know, we'll just kind of tell you what we're doing, and we'd love to host anybody who come by. Amazing. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. So exciting. I already made a note, so trust me, I'll be going out of my way to get there. So thanks again, Mia. And this is another episode of Unleash Your Supernova. This is your host, Nova Lorraine. We are exclusively on the Pink Kangaroo Podcast Network, and this is the companion show to the book, Unleash Your Supernova. So if you want more words of wisdom and how to survive this crazy journey of entrepreneurship, then definitely get your copy. Again, thank you, Yia Vang wonderful storyteller, chef, restaurateur, TV personality, and it goes on and on. Thank you so much. And until next time, ciao.